What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... <coughs> I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by Saucy. Listeners, what do you know about me? Well, you know I love comedy. Uh, you know I love, um, hmm. God, what have I revealed on this podcast? Huh. Well, you don't know much about me, but one thing you should know is that I'm an out-of-control drunk. I can't get enough of the, the nectar known as alcohol. Well, good news for me. Saucy is beer, wine, and spirits ordered online and delivered directly to your door. That's right, directly to your door. You no longer have to leave your house to get your freaking fix. I can be doing the stink and still be getting a drink. The stink being taking a shit. Alcohol delivery in 30 minutes. Shop over 10,000 products at great prices. You can order craft beer, wine, and spirits online or download the mobile app for iOS or Android. Stay in and order a drink. There's no delivery fees and no minimums, not like those pesky comedy clubs. Although, they have a two-drink minimum. I think I'm going to get four, five, six, 20 drinks when I order this. Order the drinks you want, and in 30 to 60 minutes, have a drink at your door. Or schedule alcohol delivery when it's best for you. It's always good for me. Plus, they have snacks, mixers, and more. All available for delivery in less than an hour. To get alcohol delivered to your door and to save 10% on your order, go to boardwalkaudio.com saucy. That's boardwalkaudio.com forward slash saucy, S-A-U-C-E-Y. This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support the show is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the supporter artist button and shop on Amazon like you normally would, and we get a little kickback. Real quick, before we get into the episode, uh, go check out the new Boardwalk Audio website. It's very cool, and I'm very happy to be part of this network, especially on the East Coast. Only, only East Coast Boardwalk Audio podcast, I believe. Isn't that something? Our guest this week is Sam West. He was a big Onion video guy, and he's responsible for some of their classic web series like Porking Across America, Lake Dredge Appraisal, and perhaps my favorite web series of all time, I think it is, Sex House, which is so funny. He's also done a couple infomercials for Adult Swim, and he's worked a lot in animation, including the upcoming Colbert-produced Our Cartoon President, which is coming up on Showtime in a few weeks. If you like this episode, check out our episodes with Craig Rowan, Matt Kleinman, Chris Kula, and Jeff Loveness, who all worked at The Onion. So here is Sam West. 
Uh, Sam, thanks for coming to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Alan. Uh, where are you from originally? I'm from Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. District of Columbia. What was it like uh, growing up there? Uh, it was uh, it was good. It was like you know it was it got better as I grew up. It was kind of a it was kind of a nasty place in the late eighties, early nineties. But I avoided most of that by being born relatively well off uh, was and it, not in the murder parts of town. Oh, I didn't yeah. I didn't know it was like that. Yeah, yeah. It was it was kind of it was kind of grimy there. But I, you know, I I just, there was like a punk. A punk scene. There was. But that there's was like a, probably before then, right? Yeah, there was like residual stuff there. The high school that I went to was kind of like a locus of that punk scene from back in the day. Mm-hmm. So that kind of affected a lot of us as teenagers, kind of knowing that that was there. Um, oh, interesting. And kind of believing that it was over, even though we could have probably done it ourselves if we really wanted to. <laughs> we're just like, no, that happened in the 80s, so that can't be done again. <laughs> uh, uh, were you uh, interested in like comedy stuff growing up? Yeah, totally. That was kind of like my outlet when I was when I was young um because I you know like a lot of like awkward teenagers didn't really know what was going on but like I, I knew what made me laugh and so I kind of like would get together with my friends mm-hmm. and like make movies and stuff like that and uh, that, that kind of like l- took me through high school what kind of uh stuff were you watching when you were growing up uh probably the same stuff that everyone's been telling you like the Simpsons yeah. SNL Monty <laughs> Python Mr. Show Stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. All the classics. <laughs> Everything that was good and nothing embarrassing. <laughs> Certainly no Kevin Smith movies. Yeah, Kevin that's like an embarrassing thing now, I guess. I don't know. It's weird. I, you know, I, I have to be honest. I really liked Clerks a lot when I was like 13. It blew my mind. I didn't know. That was like one of those things that kind of awakens you and like lets you know that yeah. that's something that you can do and that you can kind of like do your own thing. Even though now people look back on it and it's like, oh, it's vulgar. It's crude. But, like, if you're 13, like, you know, that's the best shit ever. And at the time, too, people, like, loved it, I feel like. And it was kind of an early, like, it kind of presaged all the, not not specifically Star Wars worship, but, like, a lot of just, like, the cultural reference comedy that has become, like, I mean, there were always cultural references in comedy, but, like, specifically, like, pop culture heavy, like, nerd comedy stuff. Like, I feel like kind of got into the mix with a lot, with, with some clerks action. Yeah, and so that's kind of the backlash. Yeah, you know. maybe, maybe. Well, he kind of went so far into it now. And now he has his own mythology and, like, his own sort of universe and, you know. Yeah. Like, part of, part of that was appealing, too, the idea of having your own little, like, cinematic world uh, that kind of continues from movie to movie. I thought that was interesting. Although he definitely, I'm sure he, you know, he didn't pioneer that. But, like, in the context of a comedy, that felt new to me at the time. Yeah. I mean, there's still no one really does it except for, like, the, the big action tent poles. Like the yeah, Marvel. yeah. And well, uh, I mean, like, Universal Monsters. For sure. Well, they, it's all about the universes now. But like, but I feel like it's in comedy now, isn't it? I don't know. I can't, I can't think of an example off the top of my head. Well, I guess there's like the Judd Apatow. The Judd Apatow movies aren't really connected, I feel like. Yeah. They're just kind of in Judd Apatow yeah. world. But the yeah. characters don't like hang out from movie to movie. Right. That'd be cool. Yeah. yeah that, that would be, be cool, cool if like the guys are knocked up hanging out with the, <laughs> the guys in Superbad, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so you were, you, you were making movies with friends? Yeah, yeah. That was, that was, we would just kind of like shoot sketches. Um, oh, yeah? We, yeah, that was, that was all we really felt like we could do. I mean, you know, we had, we had like little VHSC cameras and like mini DV tapes and stuff like that. Um, the most ambitious thing we ever tried to do was like an action movie when we were in like ninth grade. And it was just, it's so bad that it became hilarious and I, I kind of like i still have a lot of these tapes and like every once in a while i'm like cleaning cleaning my stuff and i'll like find one 
and like the this like ninth grade action movie is by far the funniest thing that we ever made in that, and in that you tra- era. And you tried to make it very earnest. Yeah, uh, we were trying to be very serious, but we're all sort of like crack voiced, you know, like fourteen year olds mm-hmm. um, trying to do like a you know like post Soviet thriller or something <laughs> like that. Uh, yeah, with like drug running and stuff. Oh but, yeah, yeah. I I I'm a big fan of the the post Soviet uh, action genre. Yeah, man. I wish the Red Dawn. I wish they did it at the remake. I wish it was post Soviet again. But yeah, they did like yeah. A... Well, you got to update it for the current paranoias. Right? Yeah, I suppose yeah. so. Uh, so, but you made like sketch type stuff too. Yeah, we when you know I, I would I was just kind of like a uh, loser in like you know junior high school and like I had like two friends and we would like every weekend we would just like hang out you know through the night shooting dumb like sketches that we would kind of like steal you know lines from snl sketches and stuff oh, like yeah. that yeah yeah do you do you remember any of those what the sketches were hmm not really nothing there's nothing worth mentioning <laughs> i mean there was nothing good it was like you know stuff eighth graders were doing eighth ninth graders man like it's it was very primitive but it like it instilled that sort of uh the idea that like this is really fun and doing this is like its own reward, sort of. That was like a major thing, um, and that kind of it like compounded to a point where, like, by by the time I was like a junior senior in high school, I was like, you know, pretty proficient at editing, was writing actual scripts, and like, you know, doing like larger scale productions that would get to be like twenty thirty minutes long, and you know, oh, nice. that that kind of. That became my fixation. By the time, like, my, my senior year of high school, some friends and I put together, like, a film festival in D.C. with, like, some other kids from other high schools. And that was, like, our big, a big thing for us. Oh, we wow, were very that's so proud cool. Of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Were you, were you more interested in, like, uh, film or, or comedy specifically? Um, well, it, comedy felt like the only thing that we could, like, do. Like, yeah, I, yeah. like I said, like, it, I mean, like, I was interested in film. I mean, you know, it was that... It, it was the sort of like it was that time when if you were in like seventh grade or like maybe even like sixth grade like somebody you knew would be like yo man you got to watch pulp fiction like have you ever seen this like it was it, you know we were just at that age when we were getting like put on to like weird uh interesting sort of like cult movies and like you know just generally weird stuff that you weren't used to as like an elementary school student um and like that made me want to make movies but uh the only thing that felt like within our production range was like goofy sketches yeah yeah i i was, I was wondering i was think about this recently because like uh, i majored like in film yeah and i was thinking like man if i was offered like uh to direct a big action movie i wouldn't know where to start yeah <laughs> I, yeah I, i'm always mar- I, i'm kind of amazed that people like make like the the guy who did like jurassic world mm-hmm like he made that like safety not guaranteed. Yeah, yeah. And then he made Jurassic World. That's crazy. That is that's wild. I feel like you probably get support when no, you're of yeah, course. from from the massive studio uh in some ways. I mean, like it, my understanding of it now is that like you kind of don't even get to make that many calls as right, a director yeah. on a movie like that, but I don't know. I mean, like that still seems like a gigantic like Herculean task. Yeah, it's insane. Uh so when you were going to college, did you know what you wanted to like major in and do? Well, originally I wanted to go to film school, but then I convinced myself that that was uh, impractical. And so I was like, I'll get an education, and then if I still want to do film, I'll go to grad school. Oh, um, and so I studied history in college, but like the, I came to New York for college, uh, and the idea was like, I want to be near like a comedy scene that I know exists and that I like want to be a part of. And like 
it seemed like everything that I liked the most, like, you know, like the Conan O'Brien show and like the onion, uh, like that was all happening in New York. And I was like, okay, well that's where I should probably go. And maybe I can like sniff it out once I'm there. Mm. Um, and, and I was lucky enough to kind of like make that work, uh, with the onion eventually. Yeah, that's cool. So, I mean, so what exactly did you like know about the New York comedy scene? You mentioned like Conan and the onion, but do you know anything else like about it? Like, uh, well, I knew about UCB. Yeah. Like, in high school, I remember going to the UCB website and just being like, whoa, 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 you can actually, like, go to a show for $5. That's pretty cool. Um, that felt to me more like the music scene stuff that I was used to. Uh, it was always... It continues to be extremely bewildering to me that, like, most shows in New York cannot be seen for under, like, $50. And I get why that is. I know about, like, unions. I know about costs. And, like, I know about tourists. Uh, but, like, it is kind of... You know, now, obviously, being here forever and knowing about, like, every, every like, bar that has a comedy show in the basement, it's, that's great, too. Uh, but, like, at the time, I was like, I don't know. The only club in D.C. that, like, did comedy was the Improv. And that was cool, but it's, like, your classic, like, two-drink minimum comedy club, and it didn't really feel that alive. Um, and just, I'm sure, I, I'm sure I found out about it because of the UCB sketch show on Comedy Central, but, like, eventually it was Googling stuff and, like, found my way to like the calendar and I was like oh wait I recognize some of these names I can go see these people perform for like five bucks that's cool yeah I mean that's yeah it's, it's funny now thinking of UCB like that I mean because things have changed so much obviously sure. um but yeah so in college were you doing any like uh, any comedy stuff yeah I did like I ran or I kind of when I got so when I got to college I was intending to write for like the campus humor magazine and then when I got there, uh, I discovered that it had shut down between the time that I'd visited and the time that I had like <laughs> in, in, uh, matriculated, uh, which was a bummer. But that kind of like created this opening where like I could kind of, if I did this administrative maneuver, I could kind of take over the publication and then just like rebuild it from the ground up. Wow! And so that's what I did. And so I like edited this magazine for. A, a few years, couple of years, and then kind of passed it off to some friends. And like, I think they're still doing it now. Um, and, and you did that like as a freshman, you like just started the club back up. Yeah. It took like a year to like get it all together. Yeah. But like we put out the first issue, I think the fall of my sophomore year, fall semester. And then we would do like, I think two issues a semester. Um, maybe the first semester, just one. I, I don't really remember, but like, but yeah, it was cool. It was a way to, at that point, it was, like, with... I wasn't making, you know, I wasn't, like, making any, like, videos anymore because it was, like, I had this kind of crew that I, that would all get together in high school and do it. We were all scattered across the country, mm. and I was also just kind of, like, it takes a long time. Like, it's so much more immediate to write stuff. Like, I really want to write short-form stuff. At a certain point, in, you know, in high school, someone had showed me, like, a Harvard Lampoon, and I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. Um, and also, of course... At that point, I'd like read like, oh, that's how people like start doing comedy. They like work for the Harvard Lampoon or whatever. So mm -hmm. I was like, okay, well, I'll just work for whatever Harvard Lampoon is at my school. And like, they didn't have one, so I just made one. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that kind of that's kind of like cheating though, because I didn't actually have to like impress anyone. I was just like, <laughs> fuck this, I'll like do my own version. That's definitely harder, I think. What you yeah, do. yeah. Well, but at least you can pick all your own jokes. You don't really have to yeah, be yeah. edited, which is cool. <laughs> I, I, I got to sort of, like, shape it in my own voice, which was nice. 
And so what was like, were you guys doing like onion style stuff or was it more lampoon? It was very lampoonish. Okay. It was what is now, I have this, my opinion is that like Twitter is now like the, the national like college comedy publication, even though like the oh, jokes, I, I actually think like the jokes on Twitter are probably the best jokes in, in existence. Um, mm-hmm. Not that all Twitter jokes are good, but like I'm not really on Twitter either. So it's kind of weird, but like uh, I think like that style of stuff, what would have been on Twitter when I, when I was a freshman in college and Twitter didn't exist uh, was like the type of stuff that we were trying to put into this comedy magazine, like weird, weird Twitter, basically in print, basically. Uh, wow. Harvard Lampoon, weird shit, um, kind of well, like absurdist humor. That's interesting because I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I haven't read that much Harvard Lampoon, but I wouldn't necessarily describe it. It's not that absurdist. That's true. Yeah, but there is a lot of um, I, what I really liked about the Harvard Lampoon is how they mixed formats freely. Right. Yeah. And I was, and I also like had seen like Found Magazine when I was in high school, and so I was like, oh, well, maybe it, it would be cool to have a humor magazine that's kind of like Found. Where you like turn the page and it looks like a document that someone like pulled off of like oh, right. the street and has like a footprint like on it and like you don't really know where it came from or it's like a poster or it's like a pamphlet or a manual or like some sign like mixed with a cartoon mixed with like a list of jokes like basically at that point I was like I just want to do absurd shit and laugh and have it not take much time and like and just kind of have a release because it was like. I was working really hard, like doing fucking college shit, like right. writing essays and whatnot, researching, <laughs> researching history. That's uh, that's interesting that you say uh, Twitter is the uh, the best jokes right now. I do think that. I mean, and I say that like take that with a grain of salt. Um, as I mentioned before we started recording, I'm very tired because I took a red eye <laughs> flight yesterday, and so maybe I'm just like down on on like tv jokes but i do like the freedom that exists on twitter and i'm always i'm interested in how you know people that were like and this is just maybe it's more interesting to me because i never did twitter really but like the way that people who began as twitter comedians are translating into writing tv i'm like waiting for that tv show that really feels like what i really like about like jokes on Twitter because I don't quite think it's happened yet. And I think maybe something about TV is necessarily, uh, you know, it smooths it out in a way that like, I don't, can't quite put my finger on it. No, that's, that's interesting. Cause like <clears throat> even like, uh, probably like the most famous like Twitter comedian, like Rob Delaney, mm-hmm. his show feels nothing like Twitter. Sure. It's like, it's very good, but in a different way. Yeah. I just think there's no way to really translate that. It's, yeah. it's so short form and like, it's so, it has to have all its context right there. Like you can't, I mean, there's types of jokes that you can never do on Twitter that you could do on TV, but like, you know, I think it cuts both ways. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I'd love for drill. Yeah. That guy, that guy, I think that guy could maybe do something interesting. Yeah. He's he's like a copywriter or something. I know. Well, that's the thing. I I mean, I was going to bring that up. Like, it's so weird to, to go and look at his like graphical work. Cause he like I think he does like he's like a draftsman. He like makes posters and stuff. Yeah, and like he himself cannot translate his style of writing into oh that's interesting like, into a, into a visual representation. I don't think like when you yeah. look at his graphics, you're like that wasn't made by him. That's like someone else using his like copy, mm-hmm. but with a weird image. Yeah, like it's it's something something about the way that the writing is done that like is so so unique that like it really can't be translated I yeah 
I think it's also interesting about Drill is that he's a guy who isn't isn't a comedian mm-hmm. and also doesn't doesn't really want to be known. Right. Um, and that's a cool thing about Twitter that you can just do that. You can be like anonymous. Yes. And also not a comedian, just a normal guy. And he's probably the funniest account on, on the website, I'd say. Yeah, I, I think that's really cool. I like anonymity. I think that uh, I think like mystery is a undervalued thing yeah. in like art these days. I, I'm not like super into the whole like you know, be friends with your celebrities era. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the more I learn about uh like for example, like David Simon, the creator of The Wire. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, he had a blog too before he started tweeting all the time that I would read like religiously because I'd be like, oh man, like David Simon has deigned to write something down. <laughs> He's like opening his mouth to speak. Like I must listen. But now I kind of see him on Twitter all the time, just like interacting with trolls, and I'm just like, mm, I don't want to know that you're doing that. Like yeah. I, I still really respect him as like a artist, but I'm just like, oh man, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Just like let just put the art out and let that stand for itself. Yeah. So someone who actually does a good job of that is like Bo Burnham, uh-huh. which is funny because he started like as a YouTube guy. But I feel like now I uh, I only really ever hear about him, or he's like he only like says like Hey, I have a movie coming out, like a movie like at Sundance now coming out like this week, and he posts a trailer or something. Whoa. And then like he just dropped like a stand special. He Rick wrote a book, and like mm-hmm. he didn't like. There's, like, not much else. He's not, like, tweeting all the time and doing stuff. He no longer promotes it constantly? Yeah. He'll just, like, he'll, like, say, hey, it's coming out tomorrow and stuff huh. like that, which is interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so, how did you get involved with The Onion? Uh, I was an intern. I started... Oh. So, like, I was... When I was in... My understanding of The Onion was, like, you can't apply to work there. Like, the, the, like, the legend of it was that, like, you... Even, like, professional comedy writers, like, can't get read by The Onion. Like, it's just, like, it's, like, a small group that is, like, pals, and they don't want any, like, outsiders involved. <laughs> that's, like, it turns out that's, like, a bit of a myth. But also, like, it kind of was just, like, well, I will never try. I, I won't, like, try to, like, find an Onion internship. But then they posted one that was, like, we need video people. And I was like, oh, well, that's my thing. And it's something they don't do already. So maybe I can get involved that way. And so, like, I applied and got the internship for what would be the Onion News Network. But then they, like, rerouted me um, to work on the Onion movie as an intern. Oh. Which was, like, they were trying to rewrite it. And the rewrite that they were working on, I don't believe, was ever, like, filmed. But, like, they had shot it and they were disappointed with it. And they're trying to, like, fix it, basically. And so I wound up working under the editor... Uh, at the time, Scott Dickers and the head writer at the time, Todd Hansen, and they, and I was just basically, you know, their intern for this project. So I'd go in and like help them collate scripts and like sketches that they were soliciting from their friends. And uh, at the end of that, you know, they were like, "Oh, we also have this like Onion News Network thing we're trying to start." It wasn't called that at the time. It was just called like Onion Web Video. Do you want to like submit a list of headlines? And I was like, "Yes." And uh, so I started doing that, and they liked it. And eventually, they started paying me for freelance, and I did that for a couple of years. And then, when I graduated college, I was lucky enough to be offered the full time job yeah. as a staff writer, which was great. Which was like the best. That was like the happiest <laughs> I'd ever been. Uh, what was it like working on the Onion movie? Um, it was weird because like they'd already been so embittered by the process uh, that they were just sort of like it felt like i think it was kind of like a chore to them 
I think they didn't really believe that it was happening. Like, they were like, we're going to try this, but my memory of it is that they were not particularly optimistic about it. They were just sort of like, mm. the thing I remember Todd Hansen telling me is that, like, uh, they kept asking them to meet them halfway, the studio <laughs> that is, I guess, which was, I don't know, I forget what the studio was, but, like, he was like, yeah, they keep asking us to meet them halfway and then like we'll meet them halfway and then they'll ask us to meet them halfway again and before we know it like we're on the 95 yard line and they're like moving the goalposts further and mm-hmm. I was like oh that's a bummer um but yeah I just remember it was a lot of like stapling scripts and like meeting those dudes in Park Slope at their like weird studio space <laughs> and just kind of like helping them out with like errands and stuff but it like you know it got it allowed me to get to know them a little yeah. bit so they, you know, they gave me that shot, and so that's the best possible outcome. Mm-hmm. Do you know what that the the script that they were working on was going to be? It was going to be a sketch movie. I mean, like it kind of was already. Mm-hmm. The I, the only reason I remember that is because I remember reading like a Scott Ackerman script that they had solicited, which I thought was oh. hilarious, and I remembered knowing that name from Mr. Show as a writer, and so I was excited to like read a sketch as written by a writer that like had written stuff that like I loved yeah. Um, because you just don't, I don't, I didn't know at the time, like what a sketch really looked like on paper, like professionally. I knew what it looked like when like I wrote it for fun, but I didn't know really what like a script formatted sketch looked like at that age, mm-hmm. which was cool. But like, yeah, I think it was basically like they kind of sent out a like call to their friends. It wasn't all fake news, um, which is weird. I think it was kind of like, I mean, I think it's similar to what actually came out, which is, I mean, have you ever seen the Onion movie? It's I on saw, DVD. I think I saw it when it came out. Like, forever yeah, ago. it's, uh, you know, it's like, it's okay. There's parts of it that, that like kind of resemble the Onion News Network, but it was just not really directed with the level of dryness that uh, mm. that we eventually would settle on for the Onion News Network, which I think was like the correct, the correct sort of like pure, like exact parody of what you they expected to look and sound right. like the way that the onion newspaper was like the exact pitch perfect parody of a newspaper mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like its tone and its presentation. Um, but yeah, it's like, I think it was just kind of like newsroom toss to sketch basically, or like a sketch would happen and then like the protagonist would walk by a, a like storefront with TVs in it. And then he'd like Let's zoom see. in on a TV that was playing the onion like news channel the the lazy mr show edit yeah kind of i mean i think so i'm not i can't i can't say for sure i don't really know Uh it's uh it's so hazy and i just know that like it never happened and so i like whatever i did remember about it i was like oh well that was like an abortive attempt at something Mm -hmm. so maybe maybe it took five different forms before they even like killed it for sure Mm -hmm. um but then i think i think they released it after deciding that they weren't going to proceed with any of the reshoots or whatever so uh, the Onion News Network just started like when you got there. Onion News Network started uh, in like 2006, mm-hmm. um, and that was uh, yeah. I was interning at the su- in the summer of 2006. I was about to start my junior year at college, and they were kind of just putting together a bare bones staff. They were like trying a lot of stuff in that that first like six or seven months we didn't actually put out any videos until like april of 2007 i think um and but in the interim they were like rounding up a bunch of like ucb performers that they liked 
um, and like trying to like do like improvised Sunday morning talk show bits. Um, and then we started adding more script elements to those and trying to like give them more of an outline. And at the same time, we were like starting this like newsroom show and like trying to figure out what the form of that was. And I think the first writers group that they had was in like July or August of 06. And I must have joined in like September, October. I could be wrong. I'm, I think I was in the first one, but I'm not at this point. I can't quite remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was like a, back then there was like a mix of some of the onion paper side people that were interested. And also they brought in some like writers from UCB that they liked uh like michael delaney and like chris gethard were in there like at the er, in the early early stages um joe wenger chris kula who i think you've had on, yeah. on here yeah um i fr- actually maybe maybe kula was like later but but yeah like a lot of really good improvisers that i didn't know um at the time but like was quickly like amazed by um plus you know some people that would wind up becoming like the onion news network core staff and so h- how long did you take to get to like uh, what you said was like like the dry, like very news like stuff. Uh, not that long. I mm-hmm. think it was pretty well understood that what we wanted was like, I mean, we were help, we were getting notes from the Onion uh, paper staff. I mean, I think the head writer of the Onion News Network, Carol Kolb, was the editor of the Onion, um, f- at least for like I think like five years uh, or something like that. Um, definitely back in like. Yeah, but before she before she did the Onion News Network, she was the editor of the Onion. So I think she knew the voice, or she at least knew what the when when like we were hitting the Onion tone, um, and then it was kind of everybody else's job to like not crack easy jokes and like not uh, play everything up for like mm. a sort of like capital C comedy style uh, laugh. Um, yeah, it was it's a weird way to like learn like the practice of like comedy writing because it is so hostile to like jokes and like goofy stuff. Right. Um, like the onion hates jokes. The, basically the, uh, it's all jokes. The whole thing is like the, the onion newspaper is just a bunch of jokes, but mm-hmm. like it, they can't look like jokes or else like the illusion is, is completely gone. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. very interesting. Uh, but it took, I don't know, maybe, maybe four or five months by the time. I mean, our first videos were, our tone didn't really change over the like five, four or five years that we were doing it. Um, like 2007 I mean it's they, they look less polished in 2007 than they did in 2011 but like that's you know part of that's technology and but like the voice is basically the same and it was mostly the same people working on them that mm-hmm. whole time what was like your process for like coming up with the headline ideas sit in a coffee shop for like mm-hmm. you know 10 hours I would I was, 10 hours I mean I don't know I was lucky because it was like I'm I'm pretty like distractible and like it was the greatest thing to distract me from like my like coursework and also the fact that I was having to take like five college classes at the time would provide me with a lot of good source material that right. wasn't necessarily in the news but also like you know I was like taking poli sci classes and like I remember taking a media class at college and like stuff like that is directly applicable to working at the Onion News Network and so and also like my parents are journalists so like I've always grown up like consuming a lot of news and I feel like, yeah, even in, like, history classes, like, if you're learning about, like, the Ottoman Empire, like, it helps to, like, have a, like, working understanding of, like, you know, where we're bombing Iraq right now. <laughs> so, like, you know, you can, like, think about things in terms of their historical context. Uh, 
But like, yeah, no, it was just like, I remember, you know, I'd have to do like tons and tons of reading for work. And then like an idea would just kind of like spin off because I'd find something funny in like the reading. Um, and when I, when that didn't happen, I would just like refresh msnbc.com and cnn.com until like something jumped out at me. I don't know. Yeah. It's impossible to, <laughs> to describe how it happened. Uh, w- would you ever have cases where you had like a funny headline, but then you couldn't figure out what the video would be? Yeah, we'd make those one-liners. The crawl, okay, yeah. the crawl at the bottom of the screen. Mm-hmm. I feel like I got way more one-liners than uh, actual like full segments. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so for when you, when you're pitching the the headline, do you also have to have like the entire like what the video would be and what it looks like? Yeah, we do like a few sentences of description of where the video would go. Uh, that helps kind of, I, I mean, I think having been on both sides of it when I was contributing and then ha- reading those packets every week from all the contributors, it's like, you still, it's still a headline that has to kind of catch your eye, even though weirdly on a video, there is no actual headline. Right. And then there has to be copy on the Onion website that goes with the video, which is never the headline because it's like the headline's always way too long. The headline just kind of describes the idea sort of, but has to be done in headline format. It's It was a weird way of doing it but like we kind of got to an equilibrium where like you could kind of tell when when an idea had legs based on like those two or three sentences of description because like it was really fertile you know there'd be a lot of ideas like in there that you could expand upon and if there was and if we didn't believe it we'd be like oh that's a funny headline it's a Mm one-liner though some people would actually just submit one-liners uh but they would rarely turn into full segments i think Mm. yeah is that what you would look for when you're contrib- when you're uh, looking at contributors? Like, look for like that, like the description that would kind of pop. Not as much as like a funny headline that was saying something different. The thing that I remember, like every every you know six months or whatever, we'd have to read a hundred packets for contributor applications, and the thing that always struck me was like how similar everything mm. was and how many times you'd be hitting hearing the same subjects hit over and over again i'm sure that's only gotten worse <laughs> well maybe i don't know I, like the weirdest thing is just kind of like working anywhere but the onion it's not necessarily a bad thing to have the idea that other people had um in many i think that's like smiled upon at many places and i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because like if you want like a big audience you kind of want to go where their head is at and if you're saying what everyone else is thinking, that's not really a bad thing. But like the whole ethos of the onion was like, you can never repeat yourself. You can never do anything that anyone else did. If anyone has seen this before, it immediately is canceled, <laughs> which I thought was great. And it like really pushed us to do really awesome stuff. But uh, was like maybe the bar was set so weirdly high that like, it you know, it makes it harder to like write like regular jokes right. you know, afterward, you know? <laughs> Uh, how did you become the uh, the head writer of uh, the video? Just everyone else got laid off. I don't know. Oh, is that true? <laughs> yeah, more or less. I mean, I was only really head writer for a while, uh, right at the end. Um, people had moved on and like, you know, I think around 2012, they started losing money a lot. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, the videos, I don't think ever made them a ton of money. But like the bottom, I don't, I'm not a business guy, but like, I'm pretty sure that like the bottom fell out of the like internet ad market in like, you know, sometime around the financial crisis, which is weird because that's right when we were like getting started and the onion was in an aggressive period of expansion around then. So I'm not sure where all that money was coming from. I believe that the videos were kind of presented as like a loss leader 
Um, but the profits just, I guess, never materialized. But I still think it's kind of short-sighted that they laid everybody off because, like, they, I think since then they've struggled to uh, reestablish their voice in video. Not to say that they're not making great stuff, um, just that they're not making as, like, production-intensive, like, you know, really high-end, expensive stuff, which I thought we were nailing for a few years there. And was this around when they when they moved uh, out of New York back to Chicago? Yeah, they um, they were kind of really when they started making cuts to the Onion News Network web series is when we were, we were doing Onion Sports Dome and the Onion News Network TV series, uh, which kind of like it brought this it it kind of like took the focus of the staff to this other place, and then they were kind of like yeah, but we want to keep it going. But then both of the shows kind of like uh, tapered off. Uh, Sports Dome went one season. The Onion News Network on IFC went two. Um, and I think they were kind of like, well, I assume somewhere in there someone was like, well, the TV show will just like take, take over. over yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like, and the successful TV show will like be where all the video goes now. And without a successful TV show, I think they were kind of like, well, our plan was to have a successful TV show. So. Um, but yes, also then they were like, we're going to move to Chicago. That was a huge, uh, dramatic thing. Most of the video people, at least on the video side, it was like, well, you've already laid off a bunch of the staff here. So if we go to Chicago, we don't really know what's waiting for us there. I think it was a much harder decision for the newspaper people because they were like, they basically offered jobs in Chicago to the entire newspaper editorial staff. But I think they were kind of like, we don't want to do that. So there was kind of like a split at that time. Some people went, some didn't. Most of the video people did not go because most of them were gone already. And the ones mm-hmm. that remained were just kind of like, uh, I don't know. Kind of seems like maybe this isn't the best idea for us right now. Mm-hmm. But I've I've gone, you know, I've like worked with The Onion since then. And like we wound up staying for like a year and like doing all this like Onion Digital Studio stuff, which I'm very proud of. Um, and like that, I guess, was when I was technically head writer of onion video um although we weren't making onion news network videos anymore so since you guys were kind of uh on your own a little bit because you're away from the rest of the company was there like a difference in like how you operated after that um we were we knew that our time was limited (laughs) we knew we had like a year and then we would basically be cut loose so we and we also knew that we couldn't afford to make fake news videos on the level that we had been. And so we were kind of left with this weird mandate um, that was based on this deal that we'd done with YouTube. This was like when YouTube was just starting to get into like like creating their own content that they'd like commissioned. And they there's this thing, I guess in 2012, they like went around to like 50 companies and they were like, everybody gets a million dollars, do whatever you want. <laughs> Um, and so the onion got a million dollars, which in like terms of like TV is nothing. And even in terms of, you know, the web videos we were making, were probably like, I don't know, 40 or 50 grand. Um, I mean, there's like, I, again, I don't really know the, I'm not the line producer, so I don't really know how much they cost ultimately, but I know that they were too expensive for us to make 10 hours of them for a million dollars, which was basically the, the, the assignment. It was like, you make 10 hours of video. And so we... There were about five of us, and we were just sort of like, well, we're just going to use our process to come up with new ideas, 
will write lists of ideas the same way that we wrote lists of headlines for video and we'll pick the ones that pass the editorial process the same way we would have picked videos except the only difference is we don't have to make them fake news anymore mm. we we kind of tried to keep a fake something like mandate we were like you know it's the onion and we have to like try to stay true to like the idea of the onion being like a parody centric company so what can we parody and try to make look authentic enough without you know the requirement of like you know 10 grand per minute uh budgets and so we settled on mostly like reality tv formats so all the like sex house and all that stuff was happened after and it happened like all in that one year yes wow that's incredible we wrote all that stuff in like yeah and really mostly in like the first seven or eight months of that year wow and we shot it all too and like yeah um yeah i think yeah there were we probably wrote like 12 or 16 web series um from january to i don't know august september uh not everything that we wrote got made and then i think eventually like they've they've like they like filled out their end of the deal with youtube by like putting out giving clickhole the option of like putting up a five hour like video of like an american flag waving or something like that oh really because <laughs> yeah, there are no restrictions at the time the business people at the onion were like you guys are improvisers just do some improv and we were just like oh man that's not what we do here yeah <laughs> but uh but yeah we they had they basically moved the company to chicago and left us there because they'd already made this deal and they were like all right we'll get you guys like a little tiny office in brooklyn and you guys can do your thing and then whenever we shot the videos, they'd fly us out to Chicago. So you had like full like creative reign, kind of to the extent that no one was really paying attention. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And also, I think uh, to the credit of the business people at the Onion, they're very used to giving the creative side like full control, um, even because that's kind of like the terms that were, I guess, the terms that have always been dictated from uh, the Onion paper, which built the company. It was like, look, we we've listened to us this is how we did it like you guys sell ads which you know it can make for some like contentious meetings but like mm -hmm. they they I, I think they really did try their best to like let us have free reign because it was obviously easier for them too anyway wow. to just like not worry about it uh one of my favorite web videos the web series is a uh, sex house oh yes which came from that? How did the what was the like genesis of that idea? I think that was actually Carol's idea, Carol Kolb. Um, we did like a couple weeks of development before we all busted out, and like they closed the office on us. Actually, we wrote all of. I shouldn't say that they didn't close the office until like March or April of that year, I believe. I'm, I mean, these dates run together at, my, at this point, but like, yeah, we they were shutting things down for a while, and like we. Um, had a few development weeks with Dan Merck and Carol Kolb. Maybe just one, I don't know. But anyway, I think it was Carol's idea. Uh, it was a very very sort of like clean idea, and everybody immediately got it. And then I, then I think Carol was working on another project, and uh, we were just like, can we, can we run with this? And she was like, yeah. So we wrote it. Um, and, then, and that was kind of the beginning of us really figuring out that what we really wanted to do with everything was like take it down a really weird uh like sort of dark plot route mm -hmm. um or like just kind of like flesh it out to a degree that 
I mean, like, even in 2012, like, reality parody was old already. Like, we'd we'd all seen, like, the, like, Chappelle show real world parody. Like, everyone's seen the, like, parody of the reality TV show. So we were like, what can we do to, like, put our own spin on it and, like, make it worth watching? And we were like, well, why don't we make it a serialized narrative um, that actually, like, takes twists and turns that, like, you know, people don't necessarily anticipate or really know that they want to see uh a lot of people have a hard time watching sex house and a lot of the stuff <laughs> that we did that year um because it's very weird i do remember thinking it was odd like well, the onions making a parody of uh the real world that's so strange in 2012 mm-hmm. to see that and then i watched the first episode and i was like like, like a couple minutes in i was like what well, this is like this is fine i guess but and then of course it goes like to this crazy place right yeah yeah that's did you say it's like a, such a clean you said it was like a clean idea because to me, I have struggled so much to to explain to what sex house is to people. Well, the way I think the way that uh, Carol pitched it was just like, it's like one of those shows where they just put a bunch of like hot people in a house, but they don't want to have sex, and then like, what do they do? <laughs> and like, and we, at the time, we were all like having this like, you know, annoying experience of like this company is like sh- is like shutting itself down on us, and like we got all mad at like the the like business considerations of the company and how the you know how we felt the interests were were being driven by like like money concerns and like in our sort of like petulance we're just like let's make this about how like like the production like the producers of a show like this are the actual like villains and not like not like the contestants who generally in the like parody version of this are the ones that like people gravitate toward making fun of because it's like so easy to like make fun of people that would want to be on a reality Mm -hmm. tv show but like, yeah, our, yeah our, our our take on it was more like, these are just some people that want to be on TV. Like, it's not their fault. Like, like everyone is conditioned to want to be on TV. Like, right. you shouldn't really shit on those people. Like, right. what did, what did they do? Uh, w- when you're making these like longer narrative stuff, uh, are you are you like making? Is it like fully set when you finish writing it, or as like you start filming it, do things change? We I don't think we had that. We we were not in the habit of doing a lot of improv on the Onion News Network, and again, like we used the 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 process that we used on all of these for writing them was the exact process that we used on the Onion News Network, which is basically just like write write ten times as much stuff as you actually need, um, and we we didn't really have a ton of I'm trying to think of the right way to say this like. The Onion News Network required like a lot of like seventy year olds, um, like six people in their forties to seventies, because like oh, you know to make a convincing news broadcast you need like you know stately looking individuals and like you know people that bystanders on the street that aren't just like clearly like twenty two year old like comedy students, um, and so so we didn't like really have access to like the best acting pool. Uh, for our like single roles because like in, in, in order to make it like look convincing like you could not just use like a cast of five people that were playing every role because then immediately it looks like a sketch show you need different people every time and so like we can't really afford like super good actors every time so we kind of have to give them the line verbatim and just drill it into them like and do like 30 takes until they like inflect it the way that we want to mm-hmm. which is like when you wind up working with real actors, a very annoying thing for them because they're like, right. hello, I'm actually like an interesting and creative person here and I understand this. <laughs> I have a very high intelligence for this stuff. Just let me do my job. Um, and it's like, all oh, right, yeah, sorry. I come from this place where like <laughs> the only people that we get into these videos are like 
weird like heiresses that like haven't had any human contact for 40 years that like want to <laughs> be in a web video uh and so like for sex house we were casting in chicago a city that none of us really knew and we were like you know we need some good actors but we didn't really have the time or the budget to go after like people who we wouldn't necessarily trust with a bunch of comedic decisions that said you know they impressed us i i thought the cast was great across the board and like i'm I'm sure there were plenty of like you know like ad-libbed things in there that were great uh but but at the time it was like we have five days to shoot this so we don't really have time to like let the camera roll and also like we don't know who's editing it we don't we no longer have like the production crew that we had at the onion news network where we could trust like sasha to like pull out the hilarious bit and like find a way to put it into the cut um it's just like we have no idea what the next stage of this is so we really have to kind of like t- keep a tight lock on it as much as possible so the sex house was all shot in five days i think so maybe even four wow but like yeah it was like sex house and lake dredge appraisal which was another series we did at mm-hmm. that time were shot um in the same week we did them both in one week wow yeah that must have... But really, it's not that crazy, because, like, now... Yeah. I mean, like, at the time, it felt super intense. But, like, they shoot, like, half-hour TV shows in, like, a week sometimes. And, well, like, but they've I got mean, bigger budgets and mm-hmm. bigger sets and whatnot. That's true. Yeah, it felt... I certainly felt like we were accomplishing a lot. And the fact that it um, turned out as well as it did, it's, like, uh, I think... A, a testament to everyone that worked on it not just our writing and, and the acting but like the crew in chicago was very excited to work with us we, we we got really lucky with like the crew that we um wound up getting and that's there's no one to credit for that except the onion business staff because they helped hook us up with that crew so i can't i can't like shit on them what was the uh the process for you guys i'm deciding what was like worthy of doing like a series on i think it was just I mean, that that kind of is, like, wrapped up in the same question of, like, what is the criteria for, like, selecting any joke? I think it's basically just the brains of everyone involved in, like, reading the list of ideas, being like, this is the one I like. No, that's a bad idea. This is the one I like. Oh, me too. It's just a consensus thing. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me because, like, Onion Talks, that's like a parody of TED Talks. Yeah. That's a very easy sell, I'd say. Yeah. But then, like, uh, Lake Treasure Frazel which is a parody of like antique road shows, maybe slightly harder sell, I would say. Yeah, I don't know uh, how we got Lake Dredge through, but it's just like one of those things where like people responded to it. And it's not, really funny. Yeah, enough, yeah. I, I appreciate that. I, that's like one of my favorite ideas I've ever had. Like, um, I, I, I remember the editor of The Onion paper at the time. There was one, there were a couple meetings where like the paper staff was also pitching web series for some reason. And uh, I'd written the idea for Lake Dredge for that meeting. And Joe Randazzo liked it. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, I actually, like, impressed the editor of the paper. So, like, I, I like, held on to it and, like, brought it brought it in front of the, like, easier crowd, I guess. I mean, not easier, but, like, my friends who I right. thought would like it. Um, and they did. I don't know. It's just, just one of those weird things. We had other weird ideas that got through. Um, but, yeah, Lake Dredge turned out well. What made you like think of uh, of that? Were you like a big antique roadshow? Actually, fan? no, not at all. I just kind of <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed like an easy like swap. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, but the characters really what make that work. You know, like and like I think that played to our strengths in finding 
like interesting older actors mm-hmm. uh because like everybody in that show is just uh excepting the host who's like uh, a you know a star of chicago fire i think or i mean i don't really watch chicago fire but oh. i know he's on chicago fire and he was back then too i think it's like a long-running show i'm exposing my ignorance here but like he's like oh. a, a, a well-known actor in chicago i guess and he's great. really um oh. yeah yeah and like and and everybody else i mean i'm sure i'm embarrassing myself i'm sure they're all like you know like <laughs> like successful like actors in chicago which is a great city for theater and like you know but we just knew them as like interesting looking older dudes that had good auditions and mm-hmm. so we we're like okay cool we know how to do this uh so you mentioned that you had um stuff that you pitched that you never filmed was there anything like what was something like an interesting idea of one of those hmm have to it's been so long hold on let me i I gotta i'm like resisting the urge to pull my phone out um there was one series that we were going to do that was just like people being fired like videos of people being fired but that was a vindictive one that i think we were it was like right at the end (laughs) we were all angry about being fired um hmm, what else uh well like there's this one that Kleinman always wanted to do that we've been kicking around for literally five years called Who Killed Ventostro, which is kinda like a uh a parody of those like history channel shows where they like kinda like follow a weird like thread of some like suspicious like we're aliens, like oh, right. uh, like real or whatever. Like at the time that felt fresh to us. I think now there's like action Bronson watching like ancient aliens like on Vice oh, Land. And well, it's yeah. like, oh like, I feel like people have like kinda hit that that area now. But, like, at the time, it felt like there were all these weird shows out that would, would, like, pose a question and then just, like, follow it to, like, ridiculous extremes. And so uh, the thing was going to be, like, this entire, like, long serialized show is based on the premise of, like, maybe there was a man called Ventostro and maybe <laughs> he got killed. And if he was killed, like, what else might have happened? Or, like, who did it? Like, but, you know, with no real facts involved. Yeah. But it always got, I think, like, we'd always get tripped up somehow, maybe on the no fact thing, you know, just making up. Right, right. It's kind of hard to get people invested in that idea. Yeah. But Kleinman will tell you, man, I mean, he has plans for that. He's like, <laughs> at this point, it's probably like a 200-page pitch document that he's been working on for, like, almost a decade. Wait, is he, I mean... <laughs> no, not really. Okay. I mean, he's just been, like, he still loves that idea. <laughs> he's going to make it one day. Now there's, um, they're finally catching up to, like, all the serial parodies yeah or making a murder parodies i guess both with mm-hmm. uh american vandal which is which is really funny yeah i like the american vandal. and then they got that there's a john lithgow show too i think or something oh there is it's like try he's got a solo show on broadway right i now. saw it you did because i, I had a, I have a friend who's in town with me right now and he uh, wanted to go see a broadway show and those were the cheapest tickets we could find they're 25 dollars. <laughs> hey see all right see and uh it's a really weird show he tells uh just like a fairy tale stories but he like acts them out is he an interesting man uh, well, he, but is it hard to tell? Does he conceal it in character? He conceals it in character. Yeah, it's not yeah. a typical one man show, huh? Um, so it's he, not really about him. It's about like stories he likes. He tells like two stories, one in each act, and then spoiler alert for John Lithgow's stories by heart. But uh, and uh, he he like kind of says like this is like a, this is a reflection of me. Like he says, right? Uh, like these stories mean a lot to me. But then he doesn't really explain the first one at all. And the second one, just a story about his parents were kind of ill, and he read this story to them. I was worried you were going to say, like, they were all just stories about, like, him being beaten by his parents or something. Oh, no, that'd be a real bummer. I'm glad John Lithgow was not abused. 
No, and he's a nice man. Yeah, he seems nice. Go, go see uh, Stories by Heart. Do you think it was like a corrupt deal that got him on Broadway? I didn't, I just, I mean, maybe I'm misjudging the market, but I don't feel like there's a giant demand for John Lithgow solo shows. Well, I th- it's a, w- a weird thing about Broadway, I feel like, is if they're very generous to people who are like stars. Right, who have like put their time in. Yeah. And, and he's, he's definitely a man who paid his dues. He's done a lot of Broadway yeah, shows. Yeah, So I feel like that's just like payback. I mean, I saw it last Wednesday at 2 p.m., and uh, there was no one there. Oh, man. But was he still giving it his all? Oh, of course. The consummate professional. I think that's, you know, that's what it's all about. There's something to be said for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, back to the, <laughs> back to the end. <laughs> uh, so uh, after like a year of doing those those shows they like fired they finished off the uh, yeah well i should i shouldn't say fired i mean like we we there was an understanding that it was going to be over after a year and we all had made our peace with that but we were still angry and wished that they'd do more because we were having such a good time right yeah and uh and also i feel like that that period of videos were like really critically acclaimed by people i was very happy that they got seen I think part of what we wanted to do was to game the YouTube algorithm by calling something sex house and it under- worked <laughs> and it fucking worked, man. And like it took, it took other people. I mean, I feel like everybody knew that like anyone who's ever searched for anything on YouTube could see that any- something with like a suggestive thumbnail has like 75 million views. So part of it is because of that. And so I'm fooling myself if I think it's cause it was that good, but I think it got people in the door and then if they stayed, they realized it was actually interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember Sex House was like a big deal when it came out. Like people were writing about it all everywhere. I am uh, glad. Yeah, I mean, like I was very happy that like it got seen. Like it, people, mm-hmm. people really. I still meet people who have seen it like mm-hmm. that don't know me, which is great. Yeah. I mean, and it's nothing. I mean, it's the combination of being able to stand on the platform of the Onion, and it wouldn't. I think part of it is like we kind of, and I felt bad about this at the time. We were because we did kind of just like hijack the onions brand to do this like kind of off brand stuff, this like sort of like B label stuff. But I think that we kind of had their blessing because we had to, cause like the business staff had already made this deal where they're like, yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. 10 hours video. We'll mm-hmm. do it. Um, and the paper staff was just like, whatever, as long as it's not on the homepage, like we don't care. <laughs> like, cause it would fuck with the illusion of it being a newspaper. If there was like a video that was like, Hey, look at our new reality TV right. show. Yeah. But they, I think they did actually like put some ads though, as ads, not as like content though, mm-hmm. which I think is a good way of promoting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as someone who did a lot of online comedy, uh, digital comedy, what do you think the future is now? Is this a, have you? I mean, you've already you clearly already talked to Kleinman about this. Yeah, Kleinman had a, had a big answer. Well, I mean, I know he's very pessimistic about it, and I won't pretend that I'm not too. It's only uh, gotten, I think it's only gotten worse since I had him on the show because like crack laid off all yeah, those people. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I I'm basically in line with Kleinman's views on uh, how the internet's been kind of like uh, homogenized in the social media era. There, what drew me when I was in when you know when I was like twelve, I was making websites. I like taught myself HTML. Um, just so, uh, yeah, hey guys, I know HTML. Uh, <laughs> like, I can't believe I'm bragging about knowing HTML. Uh, but no, I, like, it, was a, it seemed so open and it seemed so limitless and it felt so bizarre and like anything, you, you never knew what was going to happen online. And like, that's still true. Like, like I was saying, like, they're great. They're the, I don't think the internet has ever been funnier. But at the same time, there's less 
originality there's less variety there's less the the capacity like you get surprised every day by something funny online but it it always surprises you in the same sort of way and i think that like i think there used to be like do you remember the feeling of like coming upon have you ever been to like timecube.com uh that sounds familiar it's like an older it was an older thing that kind of like i guess you could say like went viral before people started saying that, but like it was a weird, just an insane man put up this website with a ton of detail, uh, all about his like wild conspiracy theories about like the like you know sort of like seven dimensional plane. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really remember what the the actual like theories were, but it was so it was executed with total like you just knew that this was made by a crazy man, yeah. And he did it all himself, and he made it all by hand, and he made the graphics, and he like coded it, and like when a crazy person codes something. You know, it looks like a sign that was like drawn by a crazy person. You know, yeah. if so, well, now when a crazy person goes on Facebook, it's just like all caps ranting in Facebook like post style. Uh, right. But like back in the day, like you you really had to like put a ton of work in just to get something online, and that and the fact that there weren't as many what you see is what you get templates for it meant that like the creativity was necessarily like bewilderingly like you know like diverse. Um, mm-hmm. And that was part of what, ma- what what I think originally made the internet seem so cool. Um, and I think it's great that it's easier to use, but I think in the ease of use, we've sacrificed. This wasn't your question at all. You, <laughs> you're asking about internet comedy, yeah, but like, but I do think that has an effect on comedy. And I think the fact that you can't make money online unless you play by Facebook's rules mm-hmm. uh, has been terrible, not just for newspapers, but also for comedy outlets. Right. And well, YouTube just did the, they just did a new thing, right? With like, uh, you have to have like a hundred hours to make money on commercials now, I think. Really? I didn't know that. That's maybe secondhand information. So (laughs) I'm not sure if it's a hundred percent right, but I think I read something like that. Yeah. I guess I have a sort of like annoyingly old school, uh, like maybe even like Gen X like view on, um, the fact that I think it sucks when a single company controls like an entire art form. Um, and I think that like Vine is a great example. Like, you know, Vine was a really cool thing. That was like a really great web 2.0 thing. I don't know. It even says web 2.0 anymore at this point, <laughs> but like at the time it was like, Oh, Vine, like social, social video sharing. It's like the advancement of, of YouTube for people with even shorter attention spans. And like people made it this cool thing. I was never on Vine, but like, I thought it was great. It was, there's you can only really describe it, I think, as like a unique art form because it is not like TV or even web video. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, it's kind of like, I guess, Snapchat, kind of kind of like Instagram stories, maybe. But like the limitations really defined it. Um, n- nevertheless, it wasn't that appealing to me because having watched every website up until that point have its like heyday and then go down, um, I kind of was like, well, what happens when like, vine goes down and like it did and like i hate that it did but like it always happens with these websites and the only exceptions so far have been youtube and facebook and youtube built that on the backs of the recording industry and like the piracy industry and like facebook did that by like stealing all the money from the media um but (laughs) (laughs) i mean i think i think that's my that's my working understanding of it but like having grown up you know, I'm loath to use the term digital native, but like 
That's the, I think it's like the technical term. Yeah, but like, you know, I was in AOL People Connection when I was nine or 10 years old. And like, you just watch it grow. And it's easy when you have nothing else to do but sit at home on the computer as like a young teenager and like see that change. And like, it has, and like, the internet matured to a point where the original generation of people that were raised on it knew how to like, learn how to work it and then optimize it and like monetize it and once the entire economy moved online i think it kind of crushed some of the more like interesting creative parts of it not that you can't go and make your own website now but the problem is an entire generation has been raised not knowing to type in a url anymore and so it's like websites are basically over like when the onion went to chicago the paper staff started this website called thing x and it was all really great content it was all hilarious but they were starting a new website in an era when like starting a new website was no longer really a business plan so much as a poss- like one of several things you could do and like it's just i don't know other than like i can't think of that many like new websites that like have been launched in the past 5 years that like i actually go to you know yeah Uh, wow yeah i don't think so either yeah so it's like i don't know so it's weird for online comedy i was telling someone the other day that i really do believe that the onion news network was like the best short form web video series ever on the internet and it probably will be um, i mean i guess you have to kind of put a distinction between like the netflix amazon hulu era of the internet Mm -hmm. and the like you know older you know five ten years ago internet um, I'm sure someone will eventually come up with the like right like name for that. Right. But, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I just don't see no one's that no one's put <clears throat> excuse me no one's like putting money into web video like that. Yeah. Except maybe like Funny or Die, but they still I think are, I think part of that is like, and I can't speak to it because I haven't worked there. But like I know that Kleinman did, and like I have friends that work there, and like I do think there is a lot of like trying to make sure that what they make plays well with the algorithm, and like that's a crazy that's a weird consideration there's always some version of that it was seo before that and before that it was like i don't know like what was before that i don't i don't really remember what was before seo that was the first time i really had to care about it but it's like you had to make something that was related to something popular because that's how people would find your thing Mm -hmm. um and and what what they do now is just a version of that even for your die i mean they they also had like pretty major they laid off new york the new york staff yeah that was a bummer yeah and then in la i mean they make way less videos than they used to which is mm-hmm. especially like in their heyday a couple of years ago they're making like new videos from interesting people like every day yeah it was great everybody would hang out at, i mean you can kind of again it's like i don't want to like make excuses for for like business people like shutting down cool stuff but like visiting the funnier die offices in new york was so much fun every time that i was like this can't possibly last forever <laughs> i was like this is too fun like everyone's yeah. having way too much fun here. <laughs> they can't possibly be making enough money. Um. All right. Let's switch gears to um. You did you did a couple Adult Swim Adult yeah. Swim infomercials. Yeah, those were mostly with the same dudes that we did uh, that worked on like Sex House together and and all that. Um, we we were doing stuff under the name Wild Aggressive Dog, uh, and still do to a certain degree. Although you know, it's times are you know. The dog times are, are lean. Um, <laughs> but yeah, basically coming right out off of that year in 2012 when we did all those web series, we had uh, a lot of 
we were kind of all on the same creative wavelength and we really liked working together and we were all frustrated that we couldn't continue to get paid to work together. So we were just like, why don't we just like pitch some ideas? Uh, we'd, we'd been contacted by uh, Becca Kinski, who's now a producer uh, at Funnier Die actually in LA. And she was working at a company called Abominable at the time and they did a bunch of like adult swim shows and they had sort of found some of the writings of uh, Chris Sartinsky, who was uh, part of that crew. And so they got in touch with him, and somehow th- through that conversation, they were like, do you want to pitch us an infomercial? And so I think we sent them a bunch of ideas, and the first one we did was called For Profit Online University, which was kind of like an outgrowth. Uh, I mean, I, I, f- I think I pitched it. Uh, our rules were basically like, if it's your idea, you become the head writer when you make it, um, because we wanted to be egalitarian about it. And also, like, I didn't want to assume that just because I was the head writer on all the Onion Digital Studios stuff, or most of it, um, that, like, that that meant I was always going to be the boss of these guys, especially when we weren't, like, in a company arrangement where I'd been kind of installed in that position. Um, So, but anyway, but it happened that this was my idea because it was an outgrowth of a character that I'd been performing at, like, uh, shows here in New York and, like, basically just, like, a huckster college owner um slash professor um and you know it kind of dovetailed with all of our hatred of uh well not hatred but like you know it it dovetailed with a lot of the sort of skepticism and the themes we were exploring with like a lot of that onion digital studio stuff and so we like banged out a couple drafts of it and then flew out to la and made it 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 definitely feels like an outgrowth of like the stuff you were doing before yeah was that um, were you guys just like still in that like satirical mindset or is that just like what you guys like to do? Well, I think we kind of, that's kind of how we got to know each other. Cause none of us knew each other before the onion. We were only put together as writers on the onion news, onion news network. And we just kind of through that, having worked together for years on that, like learned that we like liked w- what each of us brought to the table. And we, we were basically like each other's favorite writers or at least among the ones that were still around because other people would leave and like get good jobs and stuff and like yeah. uh but yeah like so we only knew each other through satire um and so that's why that's why the you know the fake like reality shows had a satirical bent and it's why the infomercials did too because it's just like we're not used to writing any other way together even though some of the other guys like jeff Haggerty, was like a very proficient like uh like character performer and like sketch writer for his own sketch group, like outside of the onion elephant Larry as they were and are called. What, what was like uh different about doing the infomercials versus like the uh, onion digital stuff? We worked with unionized professionals in Los Angeles, which is like a new yeah. experience for me at least, um, which meant that we had to do it on their schedule and we, and we didn't have the luxury of like, uh infinite rewrites and like infinite tweaks um the only the only part where i did have that was with the animator that we were working with who did a bunch of the animated stuff for for profit online university who was actually based out of great britain and i don't know exactly how they found him at abominable i think becca found him but i was able to like email with him uh constantly for like weeks and weeks and weeks until we had the animation perfect uh, but yeah, no, it's mainly just like professionals and like not being able to waste everyone's time as much as we yeah. had before. And the, yeah, the expense of it. 
like I think the budget was higher on that thing than like you know probably at least half of the like series we did for Onion Digital Studios combined just because oh, we wow. weren't working with unions before. Mm. So when you're doing like an infomercial, I guess what are like the hallmarks of a good like info, fake infomercial? Well, I don't know. I mean like it, at this point I feel like you need to subvert the format immediately because people are like so expecting it now. Um, but then also people expect it to be subverted because like too many cooks came out and like, you know, like even there's a great new one that, uh, John Harrison, Dan Guterman wrote. That's like, uh, about this like coyote suit that you wear that like takes some pretty like unexpected turns. Mm. But like, I think also now you, you know that it's going to be subverted. So you need to also like subvert the subversion of it. And then it becomes this crazy hall of mirrors where it's like, I don't know. That's always where my mind goes with this stuff. At least when I think back to like how we were approaching it, it's like, okay, how did we not make this the thing that everyone thinks they're going to see? Like we did this one smart pipe and like it starts out being a pretty straight ahead, like, you know, like send up of like a tech company and they're like bullshit ideas. And, uh, and then it, and it veers off into this side plot about pedophilia and like the company being in like legal hot water because they're like showing pictures of kids anuses uh, as like (laughs) part of their like tech scheme, which of course like no, I don't know. Like, I think it, it fascinated us to like get into how like um, every, I think every startup like encounters this point. It happened with like Uber. It's definitely happening with Facebook now where like there's this horrible externality that they had never anticipated needing to worry about. And now they're responsible for it. And it's like, Oh, okay, shit, this always happens. Mm -hmm. Um, like, so what would that be with like a internet of things thing? Um, but yeah, hallmarks of a, of a good infomercial. I mean, like I'm, I'm really a stickler for getting the details of the tone, right? Like, and this is also something that the onion inculcated in me. It's like, I, have a very hard time suspending disbelief um, for shit that doesn't look like what it's supposed to look like because that's anyone should be able to counterfeit it correctly. Like we're in, a, we live in an era of like screenshots and like you know Shazam and like <laughs> stuff. Like you should you should be able to figure out exactly what is in you know the frame that you're trying to like make a counterfeit version of. So like it it bums me out when. Uh, when that's not thought about or like when, when like the budget doesn't match the concept and no one thought to point that out, mm-hmm. you know? Cause like you could, you could definitely with infinite money, you could like make a really good game of Thrones parody. But like, if you're, if you have like 25 grand, you don't want to be like, okay, we need a castle and a giant CGI mm-hmm. dragon. Cause then it's just like one of both of those will look wrong. Cause you don't have enough money. Mm-hmm. Like, so I think like a lot of it has to do with like matching up, the like scale of the vision to like the project, which is, I think, which I think gets, um, not thought about enough, even though people definitely think about it, but like, it's, I think it's really easy to see when like that goes wrong. And I think it's something that people are like, no one will notice, but like people do, Mm -hmm. um, maybe not enough. Maybe I overthink it. I think people notice it. Yeah. Were you so when you were watching when you're doing the for profit university, were you watching like a lot of for profit university? Yeah, well, luckily, luckily, those are very easy to find, and yeah. they're all very low budget, which is like why I think that worked for us. Because it was like, dude, a DeVry commercial is just like a floodlight and like some people sitting in like a soundstage, right. and we can afford that because like that's probably the budget they had too, <laughs> or like you know, it's a green screen with like a like stock footage behind mm-hmm. it. The college commercials in general are so weird. Like, I was if you watch like any college football, 
they like show up now. It's like out like University of Alabama. Oh really? Yeah. Man, so, why would they even need to advertise that? I don't know. And then there was one that was just like SEC, like just like that conference with just all the different colleges. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, like I guess I get SEC, but like I, I remember at college, like you had to like sell ads for your publication. Like when I was doing the humor magazine, I'd have to like go around to businesses and like like uptown and like just be like, "Yo, come on, put a, like give us four hundred dollars and like." You know, we'll put like the logo of your of your bodega in this magazine, and like all of the you know some of them were known as places that would do that. And I just after a while, I was like, they've got to be just like getting kickbacks from the school. Like they must know <laughs> that this is just like pushing paper around and like kind of like helping people like meet their budget like marks or whatever. But maybe it's also just because they know that you know they're going to get called by the catering company and so like part of the like wink wink agreement is right. like you also have to like kick some money to like the college publications <laughs> when they come asking you for it but like this is in 2007 when like there's no print public no one even then people were like i don't yeah. really want to put a print ad out especially not in a magazine that like 20 people are going to read and like these fucking these like businesses have no idea like what they're giving money to. They're just like, all right, all right, all right. Yes, we have it in our budget. We we set aside this money for the like first person who yeah. asks us. Basically, <laughs> I was one of the editors in chief of my of our college. Oh, thing. sweet. And uh, we eventually had to like just get money from the school because we couldn't get we couldn't meet yeah, our budget. Yeah. Except for there was a Mexican restaurant, and uh-huh. they would give us they paid for ads for like the entire year because it's like a monthly thing. And then they would give us half money and half they'd give us uh, as a gift a gift certificate. That rules. To have and your so party would, at the Mexican restaurant. Yeah, every semester we'd have a big uh, we'd have a big Mexican mm-hmm. dinner, which was great. Was it good? Uh, it was all right. I mean, it wasn't fantastic Mexican food. Where'd but, you go to college? Uh, in Connecticut. Oh, cool, cool, cool. So it's terrible cool. Mexican food. Yeah, in yeah. You're Ex-ta- very lucky to get some good Mexican food up there. Yeah, Extapa <laughs> Grill. Oh, all right. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you recently were working on Tarantula. Yes. How did how did that come about? Um, actually related to the Onion Digital Studios videos, I did, uh, one of the ones that I directed was called Porkin' Across America, which was like, we used the Today Now, the Onion Morning Show character, um, and put him in a diners, drive-ins, and dives type situation where he, like, is an asshole to his family and his life kind of falls apart and he eventually winds up turning into a pig. Mm -hmm. Um, it was very, you know, like a fable, like a Grimm's (laughs) fairy tale or something, but like, uh. But we loved the guy who played Jim Haggerty on Today Now, and he was, like, our favorite. He, he was, like, you know, there are a few recurring characters in the Onion world, and, like, he was probably uh, the most... Uh, he probably got it the most out of all the actors that we worked oh, with. Oh, interesting. Um, and he was just, like, he had great comedic in- instincts, and he's hilarious, and, like... Uh, and so we were, like, let's write a show for him. And I was lucky enough to get to direct it. And um, Carson Mel, who created Tarantula saw Porkin' Across America and sent me an email um, after he saw it. And he was like, hey, man, you don't know me, but like I saw your name in the credits of Porkin' Across America. Like, I really liked it. And I was like, no, I do know you. I've like seen your short film that you made for McSweeney's in like 2008. Mm-hmm. I was obsessed with it. It's called Chanto. It's about like this like country music guy who, who like b- buys a monkey and eventually uh, has to let him go. Um, huh. And it was just like the best short animated like film i'd ever seen and it was hilarious and it was like soulful and it was just like whoa man like this is it really even even the first time i watched it i was like i've never seen anything like this um and this guy's a genius and so i was very stoked to get a letter from him because i was like oh shit i know you 
I'm like a fan of yours. And so eventually like we became friends. And then like when I started going out to LA, we'd like meet up and like eat tacos and stuff. And then like, uh, after a while he was like, Hey, I'm like going to have this show. Like, do you want to work on it? And I was like, of course. That's Uh, awesome. Yeah. And it was like, I, you know, probably the best job I've ever had. Yeah. Yeah. It was such a great experience working on that show. Um, it kind of, it just came out and it kind of didn't get an ad campaign. Um, so I'm right. like wondering, I'm not sure exactly what's happening with it. I assume that means it will be canceled because like, <laughs> like what show comes out to like no response and like doesn't get canceled. But it was a weird situation because like TBS was starting this animated block and, uh, I believe the plan was to have our show follow or precede the Louis CK cop show that had to get canceled. Um, and so I think TBS was kind of left with this other show and they were like, uh, I don't know, not, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Uh, but I don't, I can't presume to know what they're thinking. So, Hey, fingers crossed. You never know. Yeah. I thought it was so good. I encourage anyone who is hearing this to please seek it out. It is my favorite thing. It's so good. Carson's a genius. It was such an honor to work for him. It's got like, it's the only thing that I've ever worked on that like has heart. Um, like none of that. Not that that's like a particularly like great endorsement of it, because like who the fuck knows if I have any heart. But like, uh, but no, it's cool to work in a not strictly satirical or not strictly um, joke, joke, joke right. format. Um, and he kind of helped, you know, he helped shepherd me along in that direction. And it's like, it was like really nice to be able to like work on a vision that like you really believe in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's on the the TBS app. On the TBS app. Yeah. On TBS dot com. Um, you need to steal a cable login to do that. Uh, but, but yeah, the first two are on YouTube, Mm -hmm. but like it gets better and better. Um, you know, the net, the next season will be even better (laughs) when we get renewed. I'm in denial, but whatever. I still, I still hope it will get renewed even if, uh, there's no logical reason for it to be. They, they do, uh, the TBS, they're trying to do that. They're trying to binge things more. Yeah. So maybe, maybe it's a good sign. And, you know, once you're on the proprietary binge platform, like, you don't really know how many people are looking at the thing. Like, who knows what the ratings are on the TBS app? Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, who knows? Maybe there's a chance. Uh, And now you're working on our cartoon president. I am, yes. How how did that gig come about? Um, I worked with uh, the showrunner, RJ Freed, on the Jack and Triumph show, which is the Triumph, the Insult Comic Dog, uh, Jack McBrayer program on Adult Swim. And he was also a contributor to Onion Sports Dome, the oh. the underseen gem. There's a theme here of everything I work on being canceled quickly. Uh, but Onion Sports Dome is like also, I think, a really great like underseen show um, that grew directly out of the Onion News Network. Um, well, they, and that was like a weird thing because like they had like that Norm Macdonald show, right? Yes, yeah, and those came out at the same time, and yeah. they didn't really. I don't know. They weren't. I mean, they're very different shows. Yeah. Uh, I love Norm Macdonald. I was very uh, sad when he uh, he was talking some shit on Onion Sports Dome, and I was like, "No, Norm, no." <laughs> but whatever, I get it. I get it. Uh, sports Dome was definitely very hostile to sports, <laughs> even though right. it was a show about sports. Like, <laughs> and we were sports fans. It just wasn't like, you know, it was satiric. It was like pretty hard edged and not just kind of like idol worship. Right. But anyway, anyway, I'm not <laughs> I'm not promoting Onion Sports Dome here. I'm uh, making. Uh, Wait, was I still making excuses for it? No, uh, I'm talking about why, yeah. I, how I know RJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, RJ, RJ worked on Sports Dome. He worked on Jack and Triumph. Great, great joke writer. Hilarious dude. Um, I put in a packet 
um, he he claims to have read them blind, uh, and I was lucky enough to get picked. You know, <laughs> I I believe in his integrity. I'd like to think that I you know my packet rose to the top. What was that? What was like the packet like for that? Uh, write a bunch of plot lines involving Donald Trump. Yeah, and write a bunch of jokes. Um, I'm trying to remember if it was like there weren't like monologue style jokes, but they were kind of like like some there's like a short script a bunch of plot ideas and i think some jokes forget what kind of jokes trump jokes so how do you approach writing about trump uh well like it's it's hard to be savage enough in my opinion uh also because there's so much trump content so it's uh it's tricky it's also tricky the tricky thing about uh, a show like this is that it's produced by Stephen Colbert, the like, great all-time genius of comedy, who has a show on CBS. But our show comes out on Showtime, which has vastly different standards. However, a lot of the staff is used to working on a CBS show, and the executives from CBS and Showtime are talking to each other. and like So there's a lot of... Uh, I think there are a lot of different thresholds for like how grimy we can go with like truly, um, you know, as the internet would say, eviscerating Donald <laughs> Trump, which I'm not even sure is possible in comedy form because the man is kind of like a self-parodying individual and like that's part of what makes him popular. And so in some ways, like yeah, comedy is impotent and we're all like fooling ourselves now. <laughs> um, but I, it's, I definitely wanted to try because like uh, I, I've been, and because I've been working in animation the last couple of years, it's like, Oh, cool! This like again, it, it's like a, a, like a nice nexus of like things that I'm already interested in. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so it's a cartoon. What? How do you do current events for like a cartoon, or do you just sh- shy away from it completely? Well, on the Late Show, they've been doing these um, animated Donald Trump bits for a while now, oh, okay. and so that's kind of where the show came from. And they've basically developed a new technology. Adobe makes a program now that's like almost like building puppets rather than animating. Like you can kind of map animated uh features to like motion capture points Ah. and so they were able they're able to actually like do live interviews now with animated figures um on the late show and so i think the idea for this show kind of came out of that like what how topical could we get um and so basically there are elements of the show that will be swapped in fresh every week um in a topical style which i'm which i'm excited for because i feel like that's the new thing there it is the, yeah. I, it, at first it felt like kind of like we're trying to do south park and like just like write a show in a week but uh as as time goes has gone on it's like okay no no, no we're like adding more layers on top of that every week and like changing stuff that's like changing in real life and kind of i think we're going to go down to the line as much as possible or down to the wire i guess and like and really f- try to have it be as up to date as any animated show has ever been that's exciting yeah yeah it's cool it it should be really fun it's coming out in a couple weeks so we're like getting getting close yeah yeah cool starting to come together uh what would you like to be doing like next (sighs) oh man i don't know i'm happy yeah yeah yeah. everything is great i'm just (laughs) i I like working man you know how it is yeah yeah like get some get some jobs jobs are good trying to stay working (laughs) stay active you know Build the you know build the build the structure one uh, brick at a time there. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna wrap up uh, with the classic segment. Yes, this is with you giving uh, your thoughts on something I wrote. This, yes, this is a sketch idea. All right, all right. Uh, 
All right, this is actually this is a very simple one. It would be a trailer parody. Uh, it'd be like a Freaky Friday, but they're twins, and they're like exactly alike. So it's kind of like I guess an anti anti comedy thing. Uh, so they're like very tight friends, and it's a very manageable situation. But they realize that they've been switched. But they yeah, they do and realize like, switched, and nobody else really notices. Yeah, and then they're like, uh, I guess this is going to be kind of an annoying day. It's like kind of like this is just an incon- mild inconvenience. I think you should take it to the extreme and have them like really freak out about it and have everyone else like worried oh, about like, that. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. But yeah, like I don't know, like, uh, yeah, man, like go go fully extreme and have them like flipping their shit and being like, don't fucking wear my clothes. Yeah. You're wearing my clothes. <laughs> you have my hairstyle. I don't know. Like the. I'm scared of ideas where it's like, and then they were bored, you know? Right, that's true. That is very, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know how it is. You don't want to, I mean, that was, yeah, don't, don't, write, don't write something where the, like, where the joke is that everyone is bored. Make them freak out about it. Right. And, so and then, then they can act goofy, and then you can, let the, then you can let the improviser that you hire go totally wild, and then they'll come up with a better line, and then you can just like shape the whole piece around what they came up with. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, is that okay? Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, all right, all right, I like right, that. Sweet. I mean, that's the you know that's my knee jerk response. No, no, that makes sense because it is it is too like anti anti comedy. Just like hey, look, I love anti comedy. Yeah, but you can also make anti comedy like obscenely anti comedy, right? Like, just make it annoyingly absurd. Yeah, yeah, know? just fun. Uh, anything you want to plug? Our cartoon I, president. Cartoon president's coming out February 11th, and uh, watch Tarantula. On TBS.com. All right. Or TBS. Because I imagine sometimes they run in the middle of the night or something. (laughs) All right. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me, man. This was fun. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of On Comedy Writing. I want to thank Nick Doss for supplying the sweet tunes, Zachary Glassman for giving us the awesome logo, and Bordock Audio for hosting us. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and like and follow on Comedy Writing on Facebook and Twitter. See you next week. And a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit BoardwalkAudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.